Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about a little bit of a good old days in the sense we're going to remember a couple of fallen comrades who've preceded us and passed away three, four, seven years ago in a couple of cases, Ernie Montella and Mike Galella. Smiling faces that we saw when we hit the show circuit in the on the East Coast, but especially in Philadelphia. I think they both were from that rough area. Actually, it is a rough area around there, but uh, that's another matter. We'll talk about that and other things. But thanks, sponsors. Tops Panini Upper Deck, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, and Burbank Sports Cards. So welcome, Rich. Thanks, Jim. Uh, you and I will talk about uh, the titles of these episodes, and then we just, I don't know that we wing it because we're really talking from personal experience, but Ernie Montella and Mike Galella, I remember them being two of the more upbeat Guys that we would see when we went to Philadelphia for those really outstanding shows in that area. Two, three times a year. We didn't go every single time, but it was a mainstay on the show circuit. I did, in some way or another, a lot of those shows in the 80s. When I came to work for you in 1990, I basically didn't go for many years. We had Mike Hirsch at the time. Exactly. And since Mike Hirsch's parents had great tables there. And I think I talked about this on John Newman's, one of his podcasts recently, you were very good about sending people home for show trips because it was a well, win. Well, it wasn't a one-way ticket. Uh, it was a <laughs> I, I, ticket. I don't mean it that way. But it was that, you know, it was when we got to see parents, we got to see relatives, exactly. we got to see friends. Yeah. Many times we stayed at our parents' houses, yeah. which saved money. Yeah. We had a native familiarity with the dealers already. And strong contacts. And strong contacts. Yeah. So it was truly a wonderful win-win situation Plus the way travel worked in those days, you got reduced fares with a Saturday night stay over. We were going to do anyway. Right. So it was truly a wonderful situation. And the thing with Mike and Ernie, we talk about them being good people. They were both high, reasonably high up selling oil and gas. So they both were very successful. In their careers. Right. They were both they very were, successful. Uh, sales executives or whatever right. they were. Yeah. yeah. And so they didn't have to worry about if they took no money in at the show, it wasn't going to affect their life any. If they had a great show, all it means is they had a better dinner to take their significant others out and their family out to dinner. No, I had a lot more interaction with Mike Gallell than I did with Ernie because Ernie was more doing his uh, plaques and things like that, where Mike was more a student of the hobby. It seemed like we had a lot of conversations about late 40s, early 50s distribution of cards. And he, he was very knowledgeable, a passionate, and he was more of a, was he more of a card collector, would you say? He was definitely a card guy. In fact, and Ernie I, was more of the memorabilia display and displays. presentation and memorabilia, yeah. And Mike, I used to go to his house for, it used, I used to take a day or two each summer for about in the eighties, four or five, six years. And I used to go down to his house for a day or two just to hang out, get out of where I was. It was like a nice vacation and he could do his work from home. He was ahead of his time in doing remote work. He could do his work on the phone. So he didn't have to go to an office and he had a swimming pool. <laughs> so it was well, there you go. <laughs> well, my, is, I think he was, he's older than me, but not way older than me. Enough that when he was talking about 51 Bowmans and 50 Bowman and 49 Bowman and stuff like that, he probably collected those. He did. I think he would be, he'd be pushing 80 now. Yeah. And he would show me his backup stock of football cards and he had an awesome inventory. He was really the first full time. When I say full time, he didn't do it for a living, but he was really the first basically football primary dealer I knew. And, and so did Jerry Hirsch pick up after her? I think uh, Jerry, after, I think Jerry uh, Hirsch Mike? picked up just a little after Mike did. Hmm. And so those two were the first two. In fact, before one show, Mike, Michael Ella goes and shows me these two 63 FLIR sheets, oh. one that has Adcock on it, one that has the checklist on it. It's the same sheet, 
but except that those two cards changed, which is the ultimate proof. The we, ultimate verification of what we suspected. We did suspect that, but otherwise, why would Joe Adcock be special in yeah. 63 Fleer? But that's why. Absolutely. So we, we got the ultimate verification. And Mike was such a sweet guy. And I, I miss him to this day. And I was researching an article when I was writing for Sports Collectors Daily. And I Googled Michael L. just to make sure I spelled his name correctly. And he had passed away like three days before that. Yeah. So I saw the obit and I was very, it was very depressing. And Mike was truly a good guy. And he, I, t- I tell the story, he used to wear these sneakers that had these flaps. What he would do is every time he'd get a 50 or or $100 bill, he put the bills in, I guess the sneakers had like little pockets in them. So huh. if someone robbed him, they wouldn't get the really big bills. Is that a statement about his neighborhood? I don't know. It wow, could Rich. Be. Tough, could, tough crowd tough. around Philadelphia. The George Washington Motor Lodge in was World a War. tough. Uh, was it tough? A, how many stars do you think that would get? Can we give it a minus five? I think it, it was it was under construction. I once I once went on a trip the weekend after a Willow Grove show in '88, and I went with a friend of mine, and we were doing it was like three four days in New England, buying selling at all these various stores and shows, and we get to this hotel. It's a nice hotel. As it turned out, the lady that was the general manager or manager happened to be behind the counter and she was from, and she was from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I explained to her, look, ma'am, I just need a hotel and I just need a room. We, I just spent three nights at the George, and the minute she heard the words George Washington yeah, Motor, motor uh, we have a suite ready for you right now. She, it, it went <laughs> Please from, don't. Imagine if Yelp and those things had been available in those days. Oh some my of these God. Digital uh, ratings. It was, it was truly no stars. Yep. And yet, I hit those shows probably at least annually. It was two or three times, probably two times a year when it was in Willow Grove. But there were some amazing deals that took place in the rooms, in the convention, in the hall, which was not a huge hall. There were, that was the place where the three mantle, 52 mantles were auctioned off successively back in. To Rob 80? Cohen for $3,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. each. Amazing. And I was there. <laughs> How smart am I? But at any rate, I, I don't think I had that much money in my pocket at by, the time. By the but, way, two years later, the mantle was five hundred dollars at yeah. the same auction. So you could but, have bought it for five hundred a couple of years later. But at any rate, the, the, there were these row. It was a motor lodge, so there would be these rows of, of simple, basic rooms. And in some of the rooms, were, there were some big deals going on. You know, oh, dealers, those, that was where the real show was. That was where, yeah, yeah. But and then about Ernie, I love one of our teammates, Theo Chen. I, there's a guy from my hometown named Joe Cunningham. He's the only major player. He's the only major league baseball player ever from my hometown of Saddlebrook, New Jersey. I sent Theo up with 20 different Joe Cunningham cards. So go see Ernie Montella. Tell him it's for me. Give him my address. Are you sure? Just do that. Just do what I tell you. And you're good to go. He hands the cards to Ernie. Ernie says, oh, I know what to do. And Ernie found an 8x10 signed photo of Cunningham. He found some of those like 65 little pen and tops things. Made a really nice plaque. If I get buried with any sports collectible, it will be the plaque Ernie Montella made for me. And he was really proud of the work he did on it. Well, you got the feeling that all of his works were works of love, that he, they were carefully fashioned. And uh, Michael Ella, again, not as artistic, but somebody that really cared about the hobby and the people. Do you remember the publication Michael Ella did in the mid eighties on football cards? What was the title of it? I don't remember the title, but he did it with Mike and Howie Gordon and someone else. Maybe it was Jerry Hirsch. And they talked about ahead of its time, but still. it was way ahead of its time. It was informational. Yeah. It was really cool. And there was one of the great lines I ever read about the hobby. The only thing harder than finding this card is finding a person who wants to buy this card. <laughs> That's, that is a statement of how you determine value on uh, tough, ugly cards sometimes. Yeah. Again, a lot of uh, nice. My first recollection of the Philadelphia show was I'd known 
I, I had some trades with Ted Taylor, who was Bob uh, Schmier's. I don't think Bob was Ted's partner at first. Right. And, and then, then Ted was Bob's partner, right. and then Ted left. But Ted was, I think, a PR guy right. at Spring Garden College. Right. And the first shows were at Spring Garden College. Until and I went to the it. I went to the second one, I think, which maybe was it was nineteen seventy-five. And I sent him my money for a table. I drove to Philadelphia from Bowling Green. I get there, and whoever's the the manager of the show, it's not Ted's nowhere to be found, and they, they, we don't have any record of your table. It's this is in the kind of in the halls and it's uh, not in a, a big room. It's a bunch of rooms at this very small college on the in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And so I'm sitting there with my satchels of cards. Didn't have monster boxes in those days, some shoe boxes. And I think, what am I going to do? And so I wound up going into some, uh, not a, it wasn't the, um, what would that be? Not the janitor's shed or something, but I found a slab of wood that I put over top of two desks and put my cards on top of it and stood up the whole time as people came by. But even then, and again, it was totally a, a show and a hobby of nostalgia at the time, because all I had were 75. So yeah. you had cards from 75 and back. And so that it didn't take up a lot of room, but I needed a table. I needed a surface. And I remember some of the veteran dealers of the, of the day were uh, remarked about my resourcefulness <laughs> to create a table where none existed. But there were customers. They spent money. That was always a good show. And it went from spring. It quickly outgrew Spring Garden, moved to the notorious George Washington Motor Lodge in Willow Grove, and then moved up to Fort Washington, which was the Expo Center. And, and then the that Expo came Center under, and I went there a bunch of times. That was huge. It had additional capacity, I yes. think. And then that either, did that get torn down or rehabbed? Something or, happened. Something moved, happened. And they moved to Valley Forge. And they moved to Valley Forge, which has a nice ring to it, but I think it kept getting farther and farther out. It did. And the thing with Valley Forge is, at one point, Michael Ella and Mike Gordon and... Couple other people, uh, maybe eighty six or eighty seven. They made a bid. It wasn't really a successful bid to run the national at the Valley Forge Convention Center. Mm. So it finally got to host big shows. Just yeah. about tw- about fifteen twenty years after you would have thought it would have been a big show. Well, it's Bob Schmier has since exited. Yes, who was who ran it with the he ran a tight ship. We, yeah, he ran I a very guess, tight. Ship. I think we can say that. And uh, I don't have a lot of enemies in this world, but if if he would be one, I wouldn't want to have as an enemy because he just. He, he had his rules, and I don't think he was capricious about his rules, but he had his rules. He broke his rules. You were going to be out for, uh, you're going to either miss a show or he, but he, he had a full, he had a waiting list, I think. He had it a was, huge list. And you would be, you would always release, at least for a few years, the annual baseball card book, the weekend of the Willow Grove show. That probably was in deference to the, the very first one was, that was the very first weekend of the very first price guide book was released at Willow Grove. By the way, the white cover is much tougher to get than the, I believe, the brown cover of that book. If you ever see... Well, why the, are you telling me that, Rich? You know, I, I'm I, telling I, that for the listeners. I, not, I, not I'm aware you. of that. But what happened was the white cover was done first. Danny commissioned that with a local artist that he knew. Wasn't gorgeous or anything, but it was what we self-published, and, and that sold out that first weekend. Wow. And at that point, so instead of going back to press with the same thing, we had a, a, a strong connection with Bill Dodge, in, in the Cleveland area, who was a publishing uh, executive. And he said, you guys need to come with me and uh, I can take this thing to the next level. And so he created Edgewater Books, which was done shortly after that. And then he said, I'm going to get a professional cover, hence the brown cover. And yes, he did print more of them. You've now blown the whistle on that, Rich. But I think the white cover's tougher, but more. But here's the thing that's strange about hobby distribution. The white cover was scarcer, but it's like hobby and retail. That was the hobby cover, and so more of those white covers went into the mainstream of the mm. hobby, 
whereas the brown covers were the bookstores because mm. it went into the bookstores. And so maybe not all the, those were saved. It took me longer to get a white cover than a brown cover. They're less. They're, they're uh, one-third as many. So okay. now I'm revealing these things. I don't know why I should it's worry about four, revealing secrets. I'm going There's going to be a run. There's yes, gonna it's be 40 a run. years later. And you know what? Other than people like you and me, I don't yeah. think too many yeah. people really care other than it's fun to know the reasoning thereof. Who's slabbing books these days? I'm not aware I don't of think anybody slabbing books. <laughs> They're slabbing magazines, though. I do have some first copies of the Baseball Monthly that uh, are slabbed. And I regret slabbing them now. You can't open them up and look at them. But again, that's... Yeah, but there's reprint different. copies of the first and magazine, there are so you can always copies look at that. So that's also fully revealed. And I hope nobody gets fooled by that. Anyway, thanks, Rich. Thanks, uh, listeners. A uh, little walk down memory lane. Two great guys who passed away in the last uh, seven years, Ernie Montel and Mike Colella. I guess they rhyme a little bit. And uh, smiling faces when we were in uh, Philadelphia at that uh, really outstanding show, which we also enjoyed. And it lives on. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. The